Our prayer is that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Strength to Strength Sisters. I'm Jamila Kurtz, and I'm so glad that you all are joining us today. I have just a few notes before we begin our talk today. This call will be recorded, and it's going to be posted after this session. And just to note that your face will not be recorded unless you're speaking. We'd love to see you if you don't mind. Um, I think that gives our speaker um, some support as they're talking. So that's up to you. I'm excited to introduce Edith Burkholder today. Her topic is intentional forgiveness, keeping our spirits free and clean. I remember the first time I met Edith here in Kenya. I value her wisdom and I believe God has a blessing in store for us as we listen to her speak today. After our call today, we're looking forward to hearing from you all. We will have an interactive Q&A session. We'll give some more details for that after she's done speaking. You can submit your questions through the chat or feel free to ask them yourself. Before we start, before I turn the time over to Edith, I would love to pray for her. So if you don't mind, you can all join me as we pray. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, that we can just gather here together. I thank you for this gift of technology that makes this possible, Lord, that we can be thousands of miles apart, Lord, and in different countries and different continents. And yet, Lord, we're here before you as your daughters today, Lord. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, um, that our hearts can all be open to receive a blessing from you. I pray especially, Lord, for Edith, Lord, as she speaks, Lord, that her thoughts um, would come together well, Lord, and that your message, Lord, would flow through her, Lord. I pray for the technology, Lord, that it can work today, if not against your will. And Lord, I just pray, especially, Lord, that as we listen, and Lord, as you speak to us, Lord, that we can be prompt to obey whatever it is, Lord, that you lay on our hearts. And so, Lord, thank you. We're just waiting for your blessing. Lord, And we just love you so much. We just ask this all in the name of your son who died for us, Jesus. Amen. Hey, Edith, it's your time now. Go with God. We're praying for you. Thank you, Jamila. And thank you for your prayer. Mm -hmm. Yes, my talk is on intentional forgiveness and keeping our spirits free and clean. I don't know what your earliest memory is about learning about forgiveness. I'm the 10th child of Mast and Mabel Stoltzfus, and they had 16 children biologically and adopted three more. So I come from a huge family. Um, we weren't all home at one time. The most that was home was 13 at a time. So I had lots of opportunity to interact with different personalities and learn flexibility and opportunities for forgiveness because we did have our skirmishes and our fights. And my one sister tended to clash the most with me and she was older than me. And so sometimes for us and the other children, my mother would want us to say that we're sorry after we had a fight and she would want us to give each other a kiss. This sister would sometimes <laughs> include a, a lick with the kiss. So she was still getting a defiant message through to me. And I did not feel reconciliation with her. <laughs> so that was some of my earliest memories of learning about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? First, I'd like to talk about what it's not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You hear the phrase forgive and forget, but that is not found in the Bible. We never read that God forgets. When the Bible says that God remembers not, it means he doesn't allow himself to think about things he has forgiven. And we can learn to do that too, but we don't have to feel obligated to forget. Number two, forgiveness is not denial or minimizing. Both of these strategies make the wrong appear less serious than what it was. To, and in God's eyes, any sin is sin, however small. Number four, forgiveness is not just a feeling because 
feelings are fickle and constantly changing. So when you feel like you've forgiven someone and then you feel, um, you sense some emotions coming up that make you wonder if you haven't forgiven them. Uh, just remember, it's more of a commitment and the feelings come later as you live and act out of their commitment. Number four, commitment is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-way thing, and it requires action only by one person, by you. Restoring relationship takes action by the offending party, too, and sometimes the offending party doesn't choose to repent, and reconciliation is impossible, but you can still forgive. So I've said what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? First definition I find in the dictionary is to give up the wish to punish or get even with, not having hard feelings toward, to pardon or excuse. And the second definition is more of a financial forgiveness, like to give up all claim to, to not demand payment for, and to forgive a debt. But it kind of ties in with forgiveness that, that we need to give to people that offend us too. So if I get up, if I give up getting even with someone, then how is justice fulfilled? Getting even has the feeling of revenge. And Romans 12, 19 reads, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he assures us he will and that he will be a just God. You know, we really don't know what all is truly fair. We don't have that knowledge. God doesn't give us that knowledge. And he doesn't give us the authority to bring vengeance to anyone either. As a young adult, I felt like I got along well with other people, and I thought I was a loving person. But as time went on, my feelings got hurt by a friend. And I found myself wanting to avoid her, I would sort of monitor where she was in the room and not want to interact with her. And earlier in my life, I think I coped with um, problems by trying to be a good girl, um, especially with my father. I would always be very careful to, to not offend him because I didn't want his displeasure. So when you think of um, how we clothe ourselves to cover our nakedness before God. You know, Adam and Eve put on fig leaves. Well, I put on being a good girl. And it wasn't true righteousness, but, but that was my way of coping. So when, when I was interacting with my friend that had offended me, one day I realized that I thought that God liked me better than her. <laughs> and I realized that that is not truth. That is heresy. And I needed to have a change of thinking and repent. And we eventually talked and I, I found out that she didn't intentionally hurt my feelings. But our insecurities were bumping up against each other. And I think that happens when, you, when you're feeling hurt about something, you know, check what are you feeling insecure about? And misunderstandings had developed because of our insecurities bumping into each other. So she decided to check in with me periodically just to see how I was feeling about things that she was saying or doing. And for me, just knowing that she cared like that and that she didn't want to hurt me made it much easier for me to overlook other things that she did, you know, and it helped to mend our relationship. But what if the person that you interact with, that you have problems with, doesn't mind hurting you? Should you force yourself to stay in relationship with them? I think that's really complex. And I think we have scripture kind of weighing both sides of whether you should or shouldn't. Proverbs 14.4 says, uh, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. So that would stress that we should be open to it, to staying in relationship with those that hurt us. But Jesus also warned us in Matthew 7.6, that we shouldn't cast our pearls before swine, lest they tread them underfoot and come back and attack us. Kind of the feeling like 
don't share what's precious to you to someone who's just going to use it against you. So be, be wise in how you interact with, with those who seem to want to deliberately hurt you. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, and he let him know he knew, but he didn't stop him. He released Judas, trusting that God could work out his plan, even though even through the wrong Judas would do. It cost Jesus greatly. But through that whole thing, we have the basis of forgiveness for all of us, like it was part of a bigger plan. And the basis of forgiveness is understanding God's unconditional forgiveness for us and seeing what it meant for God to forgive me. Later, I would have talked about the story of Joseph, but in both of these cases, in what Jesus did and in what happened with Joseph, we can see the bigger picture. But the people that were involved in it right at the time didn't understand. Like It just seemed like such a terrible tragedy what was happening to them. And for Jesus' disciples, it must have just felt so disorienting. And it was, but, but God knew what he was doing. Relationships are complicated matters. In Proverbs 26, 4, it says, not to answer a fool according, according to his folly, lest you also be like him. But in the next verse, it says to answer a fool as his folly deserves, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So I take from that that at different times and places, there's room for variety in response. And we need to pray and contemplate and maybe sometimes seek counsel and try in our stumbling ways to find a good path. And it makes me think, too, of James 1, uh, that I forget the exact verse, but it talks about when we need wisdom to pray for it. I would use that verse so often in my mind when I was dealing with problems with my children, just to pray for wisdom and trust that God was giving it and to go then with what I sense. When I've struggled in my attitudes towards other people and found my mind kind of going around and around, rolling all over the wrongs done to me, you know, you get stuck in these negative tracks. I have found it helpful to focus on the Christian's armor described in Ephesians 6, 14 to 18. The first piece is the belt of truth. The second, the breastplate of righteousness. The third, the gospel of peace on our feet. The number four, the shield of faith. The fifth, the helmet of salvation. And the sixth, prayer. So what I would do is I would remind myself of a truth. That the, first, the first one is the belt of truth. So I would remind myself of a truth and find a song that was meaningful to me that had a truth in it. For me, it was like, it was a song about God loving me. So I would sing that song and then I would go to the next piece of armor, which is the breastplate of righteousness and find a song that talked about righteousness. And, you know, I go through all six of the Christian's armor pieces, but often I didn't even need to go through all six of them. If I would just get my mind out of the negative track and onto wholesome things, then it didn't just go round and round the negative thoughts. But that was really helpful to me. Another helpful suggestion is to have a prayer target. If you find yourself habitually thinking of negative things to decide that you're going to pray for another person who might be struggling with the same thing or something altogether different something like um, their health or just, yeah, just pray for them and decide to yourself that every time you struggle with this certain thing you're caught up in, you're going to pray for that person. It helps to break the cycle also. Plus you're giving power through God's, he tells us to pray for others because, and so I think there's power there. You're, you're releasing power for another person. I once heard an Inuit preacher compare forgiveness to pregnancy. He said, when one first decides to forgive, it's like conception. However, forgiveness has to be nurtured and not aborted until finally there's the birth of it being felt fully. Sometimes in pregnancy, there's morning sickness and other unpleasant things to go through for several months before the birth of the child. And it's like that in forgiveness too. You have to nurture it. 
you have to keep being committed to not picking up offense. And I think when we keep that, we keep doing that, we are obeying Romans 12 too, which says that we should be transformed by renewing our minds and running what's good and acceptable and, and perfect to God. But it's a battle and we have to keep nurturing it, just like pregnancy has to be nurtured for the baby to be born. It's helpful too to think of forgiveness as a step in a grieving process. There's an order to this process. When someone first does something that you don't expect from them and it hurts you, it's like a shock and denial at first. And then there's anger, guilt, despair and loneliness, bargaining. And then if you keep pursuing a good path, forgiveness, and acceptance, and growth, and maturation. But your forgiveness can only be as deep as you allow yourself to feel it, to feel. And it's not just about emotions, though. God gives us the capacity to be like him in being able to choose, and to think, and to long. And so we can take our thoughts captive because we're, we have the power in our minds to do that and not just let our emotions rule us. I would like to think of a person in the Bible, and this kind of emphasizes that forgiveness is different from restoration. Um, Joseph was a, a man in the Old Testament. I just have really admired him because of the hard things he went through in his life, and yet the beautiful things that he did in the end with it all and how God used it all. The story of Joseph is found in Genesis 37 and then also chapters 39 to 50. There's one chapter in between that's kind of about other things, but it starts in Genesis 37. So Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons with four different women, but his favorite wife was Rachel and Joseph was the firstborn child of Rachel. And his father really favored him because of Rachel being his favorite wife. And he made him a coat of special colors that made the other brothers envious. And his brothers didn't appreciate that, of course. They, they were older than him, most of them were, and their father wasn't treating them in those special ways. Then when, I think he was about 17, evidently, he, he, his father had sent him to check on his brothers while they were tending their flocks, and he came back and gave a bad report about them to his father. And they probably knew that, they didn't like that. And Around that time, he had two dreams. The one was about being out cutting sheaves with his brothers, cutting straw and putting it up in sheaves. And then his brother's sheaves all bowed to his. So that was one dream. Another dream that he had later was that the sun and the moon and the stars all bowed to him. And he told those dreams to his brothers and to his father and his brothers did not appreciate that, you know, that, they, that he thought everybody was going to be bowing to him. So that had happened. I don't know if that was, maybe he should have just kept it to himself, but that didn't endear him to them. Then a bit later, his, father, his brothers were off again, tending the flocks, and his father sent him to check in on them. And they saw him coming from a distance, and they said, here comes the dreamer. And they decided that they were going to kill him because they just didn't like him. And this was their chance. Their father was far away and they could deal with him. But Reuben, the oldest son, said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him into a pit because he felt more responsibility toward his father. And he thought later he could uh, probably release him and send him back to his father. So they put him in a pit and Reuben must have gone somewhere else. And then some Ishmaelite traders came by. The Ishmaelites were distant relatives of these 
brothers, and they sold him to the Ishmaelite traders for 20 shekels of, of silver, I think it was. And Reuben came back later, and Joseph was gone, and he felt really, really bad. So they decided to take, to take the coat that Joseph had, had taken the, the beautiful coat off of him. They decided to dip it in the blood of an animal and show it to their father. And then his father thought he had died. That a wild beast had torn him. So in the meantime, the Ishmaelites took Joseph down to Egypt, and he was sold as a slave to Potiphar, who was the captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguard. So we, he must have been about 17, 18 here. We don't know how much time had elapsed between the two times when he visited his brothers, but he was just a young man. And he was uh, doing well there. He, he was responsible in the household of Potiphar so that he was given more responsibility. Potiphar found that he could trust him and he just left him be in charge of his house increasingly. Eventually, Potiphar's wife lied about him. And so Joseph was put in prison, in prison several years. We don't know how long. And there again, he was seen as a trustworthy person by the chief jailer, and he gave him a lot of responsibility. And it's just interesting to me, this is, to, this is talked about in Genesis 39. It says in two places in that chapter that God was with him and he prospered. It says it in Genesis 39, verse 3, and also in verse, in verse 23. You know, in those kind of situations, when you're a slave and when you're in a prison, you wouldn't feel like you're prospering. But God somehow made him prosper. I guess the fact that he was given more responsibility and that he was trusted shows that. But I think it also shows us that we often think of prosperity as being financial or doing well, but we don't think about it in, in our characters. But if we're trusting God through the hard things that come in our lives and keeping faith, we're prospering too. And I believe Joseph was doing that. He was prospering in his spirit. While he was in prison, two of the men he was responsible to help out with were the, the chief baker and the chief cupbearer. They had been working for the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh got really upset with them and threw them into prison. And one morning they were kind of looking Lum and Joseph asked how they were, what was wrong, what they were doing. So they told him that about the dreams that they had had. And he interpreted their dreams for the chief cupbearer. He said that the dream was going to mean that he was going to be out of prison pretty soon and restored to his former job. So then the chief baker thought, well, it turned out good for him. I'll tell Joseph my dream too. But for him, the interpretation of the dream was quite different. And Joseph told him that he was going to be beheaded. Well, it turned out like Joseph thought. And so Joseph asked the cupbearer before he was released to please mention him to Pharaoh to, be, to release him from prison. But the cupbearer got busy and two years went by before he thought of Joseph. And the reason he thought of Joseph was because the Pharaoh had two dreams that really, really troubled him. And he just, they were on his mind. So he was trying to get his magicians to translate them to him, to interpret them for him. And they couldn't. Then his cupbearer remembered Joseph and told the Pharaoh that Joseph could interpret dreams. So the Pharaoh called Joseph out before him. And then the Bible says by that time, he was 30 years old. So you see, a lot of time has gone by. Joseph was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams to mean that there was going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. So he advised Pharaoh to store up food and provisions during the seven years of plenty so that during the seven years of famine, there would be resources for them to draw from. He said, you need to get a wise and discerning man to handle all of that. And Pharaoh said, well, who's wise and discerning like you? He said, you have the divine spirit. And he appointed Joseph to do that. So we know that seven years went by. And we know 
that it must have been a couple of years into the years of famine when everybody's resources were gone that his, his, his brothers who were in a country fairly close to Egypt were really getting low on supplies. And their father heard that there was plenty in Egypt and he told his sons to go and get food there. And they came before Joseph and Joseph remembered his dreams. It says, I think it's in chapter 42 of Genesis that when he saw his brothers and they bowed down before him, he remembered his dreams. It was coming true. And he must have felt all kinds of things. This was the first time he had seen them for so many years. I don't know if he had already forgiven them during the hard times when he was a slave and a prisoner. Now he's in a stage of life where he has power and responsibility. I don't know where all he was in that, but he decided to test them, first of all, before letting them know who he was. And when you read Genesis 42 and 43 and 44, it tells you the the ways, the the tests he put them through. It wasn't very easy. He had them all put in prison, first of all, because he said they're spies. So they were in prison for three days. I guess he gave them a bit of a feeling of how it had been for him in prison. (laughs) And then he sent them home. And you can read those stories if you're not familiar with the Bible. But then in Genesis 45, he had gone through the test with them, and his brother Judah convinced him that that they had changed. By the way, he was wanting to care for Joseph's youngest brother, who was also a full brother. He was, was the only full brother, had the same mother. And then Joseph let them know who he was, and he wept, and he he. It says he wept on over them. I imagine him just hugging them. He cried loudly. It must have been quite a thing for him to do that. Then he asked them to bring his father to Egypt. And we know his father lived for 17 more years after they were in Egypt. So by that time, he must be getting close to 60 because, yeah, it's just such a long period of time. Like he was 30 when he first stood before Pharaoh. He must have been getting close to 40 before the brothers came because it would have been over seven years. And then it's 17 more years. So maybe getting, he's in his 60s. Then when his father died, his brothers were worried. They thought maybe he was just putting off dealing with them in a negative way till after the father died. In Genesis 50, verses 18, to 21, it says, then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I just marvel at that beauty. It just makes the tears come to my eyes. You know, as we forgive others, that same thing is happening too. We're releasing God's power and we're bringing about life to others. Um, You know, like through things that I have gone through, I'm able to speak more deeply about this and bring life to you and to others. So just like Jesus offering himself and going through the pain he did, bringing life to so many, Joseph did the same thing for his group of people. For these people, we can see the big picture, but we can't see that in our own lives. We just have, that's where we have to trust God to have the power to redeem and restore and bring beauty out of the hurtful things in our lives. In Matthew 6, 9 to 13, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And included in that is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And verse 14 and 15 explain further that, that if we forgive others for wrongs done to us, God will forgive us. But if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Forgiveness is serious business. It's life-giving. But it's death if you don't. 
forgive. Lewis Smead said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. But it might seem very hard to forgive, but it's much cheaper than the cost to our bodies when there is anger and hatred and waste of energy. And I find too that it can help to follow Jesus' example. When he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So often when we're hurt, we assign motives. We think, oh, they're just trying to hurt me. Like they're out to get me. But we often, they often don't even know what they're doing when they're hurting us. So let's try not to assign motives. What about when there's physical and sexual and emotional abuse? Some things that, that happened to us in our early childhoods uh, where these things have happened can cause deep woundings and trauma. And, and trauma healing is more complicated than just, you know, when you're an adult and things are happening and you have more understanding and can process it through your rational mind more. So in those kinds of situations, you have to enter into the pain of the wounding because just skirting over the top is like putting a Band-Aid on an infection, but that doesn't help it. You have to open the wound and clean it out so that there can be real healing. And so for drama healing, we have to open up with a friend or counselor and the wound needs to be cleaned out by talking and praying and mourning and crying. You have to remember and identify the wrong, number one. You have to feel the pain of the wrong. As I mentioned earlier, when I was just going about through the order of forgiveness, there may be strong emotions and grieving. And it can feel at the time like you're going to die because that was your belief when you stored that trauma. You believed that it was, it was um, death to you. Like that's why you, that's why it felt so traumatic. But when you trust God to bring you healing through it and go through the more rational part of your brain, the cortical, and bring it out into those parts and accept it. You find it doesn't kill you after all. It actually can be a wholesome thing for you. And as you bring it through your brain by writing, um, by talking, you're, in, you're integrating your brain better and feeling more holistic. As a, as a child, I went through some traumatic things that I didn't understand how it impacted me until I was an adult. We served some time in Haiti, and during that time, we really wanted to live in, like immersed in the community. But it put me back in a time of my life where I didn't know how to talk in that language. Uh, the culture was different. I didn't know how to act. And, and it helped me to get in tune with what had happened to me as a small child when I didn't have language for what was happening to me and the emotions that were around that time. But as I then later talked with a friend and cried and mourned and processed it, I felt so much more integrated. I felt like I was accepting that, that wounded little girl into my life and letting her be part of me. And so that was healing to me for uh, healing from trauma. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are they that mourn for they should be comforted. And that's how it was for me. I had to mourn it first. I was going over there, um, what forgiveness is. Number one, it's remembering and identifying the wrong. Number two, feeling the pain of the wrong. Number three, releasing your feelings and memories to God, expecting all the healing to come from him and none from the one who has wronged you. And sometimes when you're going through the process of forgiveness, it's helpful after you write it all down, what they did and how it wounded you. Um, to then burn the paper as a symbol of forgiveness and release. Sometimes people go to the grave of a person who has wronged them and read the paper over the grave and then release it and let them know that they're forgiving them. Whatever you can do to make it tangible and real and a memory in your mind that this is a time when I did it can be helpful. Number four, repent of your own responses to seeking revenge. Number five, Leave room for God's discipline in the life of the offender. You can't fix it all for them. You can only do your part. Number six, genuinely desire to be restored to the one who wronged you. 
if it's not if that's not possible, you have to sometimes prepare yourself to accept and grieve that additional loss too. Mark Twain said, "The forgiveness is the fragrance, the violet the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it." Just to close my part of the sharing, I want to read a story about a lady who forgave a very deep wrong. Um, my brother Dale Stoltzfus recently wrote an article on forgiveness, and so it was helpful to me to read what he wrote, and he includes this story. In August of 2017, a newspaper called The Daily Beast published a tragic yet touching story. According to the article, in 1993, 16-year-old Oshia Israel got it, went to a party and got into an argument with 20-year-old Laramiam Bird. Oshia shot and killed him. Laramiam had been Mary Johnson's only son. 12 years later, in March of 2005, Mary went to the Stillwater prison to visit her son's killer. He was no longer that 16-year-old boy. He was now a man whose perspective had changed. Mary and Oshia spent about two hours getting to know each other. They found out that Oshia and Laramiam had had many similar experiences and struggles. When it was time for Mary to leave, she started to cry. She started to go down like she was going to hit the floor. Oshia didn't want her to fall, so he held her in his arms and hugged her like he would have hugged his own mother. After Oshia left, Mary realized that she had just hugged her son's murderer. She said that she felt something go through her body, and when it left her, she knew that all the anger, hatred, and animosity she had in her heart for Oshia for 12 years was completely gone. She had totally forgiven him. Oshia served 17 of his 25 years in prison. And when he was released, he went to live in the same apartment complex as Mary Johnson. He went to, they lived next door, they live now next door to each other. They often stand on the front porch and share stories. They have a, an amiable relationship with each other. The story in the Daily Beast ends with this conversation between Mary and Oshia. Mary says, you know, I didn't get to see Laramiam graduate, but you're going to college and I'll be able to see you graduate. I didn't get to see him get married, but hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. Our relationship is beyond belief. And Oshia said, I agree. I love you, lady. And Mary said, I love you too. And I just, I just think that um, feeling of release that she had when she gave up the, the animosity is, is how I want to live my life. I want to have that freedom um, and not having things hinder my relationship with anyone here on earth. And I just admire the way that happened with her. And I wish that for, for each of you in your relationships. We are called to freedom, Genesis 5.13 says. And part of that freedom is not carrying anger and guilt and fear. And that concludes what I wanted to say, Jamila. Thank you so much, Edith, for that beautiful, beautiful encouragement. Um, there's so much that you shared, and I think it's a subject that it touches all of us. Um, but before I say too much, I want to open this up for our Q&A right now. And we do ask if you'd give a comment, we would love if you could turn your video on to comment, or you can put your question in through our chat box. So feel free. Um, one thought I will just, as, as we're all thinking, I'm sure we're all thinking, when you mentioned that forgiveness is releasing God's power and bringing life to others. I just, I really love the way that, um, that dual purpose, it brings life to us, but then it also brings life to the person we forgive. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that. Edith, what would you say is one of the biggest hindrances to forgiveness and maybe even one that we don't realize that we're hanging on to when we're not forgiving? 
for me, I would say it's probably self-protection. Um, you know, with when you think of the way the trauma brain works, it's going to want to um, flee or fight or freeze or fawn. This, I just learned that most of that last one recently, the fawn one, but I think that would be a case for people who are in domestic abuse situations. But for me, I think it would be want to flee just to be safe, to be to get back into um, a, a safe, you know, yeah, I think for me, it'd be freezing. And so I have to remember that God's my protector. Um, he's, he, he might want me to grow through experience that I'm trying to run from. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah, thank you. And I think that too, pride builds in there too, because yeah, even the self-protection, like we want to look out for ourselves and to remember that the way of Jesus is a laying down of ourselves. And, and it's, we don't just do it for forgiveness sake either. It's because of Jesus and wanting to be like him to the world around us. Edith, you mentioned, um, I'm not sure exactly, I don't have it written down exactly how you said it, something about how anger, um, how it can have negative effects on our body, and then how forgiveness then obviously is a positive. Didn't know if you wanted to elaborate any more on that. Maybe what you've seen or... Well, anger is usually they're covering up fear. That's usually what anger, the strong emotion of anger is doing. And fear comes from fear of trauma. We just want to protect ourselves too. Yes, those things bring, if we carry them in our bodies for a long time, it um, is a stress to us. Like it increases our blood pressure, just affects our body in so many different ways. Um, do you have more you wanted to say about that, Jamila? Well, I, I just, I, when I was thinking about that, I think that's so true, like you said, how um, so often when we feel powerless or helpless, then we can respond in anger or control. Mm -hmm. And then just a reminder of how, and bitterness, and how that can come out in negative effects in our health. Mm -hmm. And so often when we react, in different ways, it's it's so quick, and it's because we're being triggered or we're feeling yeah. a bit of trauma. Um, but we just have to remember that we can ask forgiveness for it and go back and make things right because our rational brains our rational brain sometimes takes a bit to kick in and, and think through things and remember, no, we're safe. God loves us. We, he he's going to take care of me, even though it might not turn out how I think it should be to be safe. He, he knows what's good and he has the bigger picture in mind. It, it might mean some sacrifice for myself or even of myself, but he has a good plan in it all. So we can bring ourselves back into truth. Think of Hebrews, I forget which chapter it is, but it talks about the rest that God has for us. I think as we habitually um, remind ourselves that we're in his hands, that we're loved, and we're forgiven that we can live in that rest more and more. I've certainly found that true in my life. It's so freeing to live out of that instead of performance and trying to protect myself, just to try to be more free and um, loving in relationships. I really appreciate that. And you mentioned just that rest. And my mind went to Romans 8, too. Um, forget how you just you just said something about how you know it may not work out the way we think but we can trust and know that God is going to work it out it made me think of Romans 8 28 that we know that all things work together and like yes. you said when you kind of have that come to that place of acceptance and rest in God and yeah. um, 
I found in my own life, then that place of acceptance makes forgiveness easier to come. Mm -hmm. Does anyone else have anything that they'd like to, a question? even a testimony, whatever it may be that you have. I was just gonna say thank you, Edith, for sharing. Um, I've been working with a lady from town here and she was asking me a lot of questions about how you can forgive somebody that abuses you or somebody they've had some things with their family. And I've been doing a lot of study on forgiveness. And so I feel like there's a lot of steps here that you clearly laid out um, to help me to share that with her. And it was the beautiful story. I love the thing too about how you talked about it giving life um, when we're willing to forgive. So thank you. Bless you for sharing. You're welcome. For me, the, the hearing that Inuit preacher talk about um, forgiveness being like pregnancy was a was an insightful thing to me too. Just want to bless you, Judy, too, in, in the way you're reaching out to that lady. Um, your care will minister to you and, and God will give you wisdom. Will, your, minister, your care will minister to her and God will give you wisdom. Um, what you said about self-protection being a hindrance, I thought that was really excellent because we don't like being vulnerable. And if we have a wall up around ourselves, um, then we think maybe we're a little bit safer. And you know, for someone that's been hurt, that wall is to not forgive. And when that wall comes down, well, then they have to be open to being hurt again. Um, so I thought that that vulnerability of self-protection, just all that together was really good. I just wondered if you had any other hindrances that you could think of. Well, I, th I just think of, I think, I think our different personalities react in different ways. One of my friends, I see her struggling with forgiveness. It's almost like she wants to hold on to some of the hurts. Her husband had um, he had violated her trust, and and he died before they were totally through the through the whole thing, through the restoration. And she just had a really hard time letting go of some of the things that reminded her of what he had done. And it, I was, it was, it was hard for me to understand. I think it's just a different bit of personality. And maybe some of you have insights into that, that have a more similar personality to hers or that have worked with people. Like, why do we want to hold onto grudges and, and hurt ourselves with it? Like nurse it and go right. over it again yeah, and again. Like, like a little pet they want to nurse and keep or something. <laughs> I, I guess I was doing the same thing in my struggle with just the things going over and over the track of my mind. You know, why, why do I keep going over and over that? Why does it? I don't understand it fully. I just know that I don't want to keep it up. <laughs> I want to get out of it. And I found what helped me to get out of it. And for her, for this friend, she did decide to burn some of the things that were tangible things that that were uh, reminding her of it. She did make good progress in that. Thank you. I don't know if I answered your question totally. Yeah, but you did. I, I appreciate I think it's this. different personalities partly said. too. Yeah. And as you were there, Talking, Edith, um, it came to me, I was thinking that I think another hindrance can be um, when we don't allow God to bring us to a place of maturity. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like you were talking about, like the wounds we get as children and how is, a child tends to look at life in a very black and white way. I mean, that's, that's what, that's the capability they have. And so then if we become adults and we're still looking at life through the eyes of a child, obviously we're not going to have the capability mm -hmm. to be able to see just some of the things you talked about that um, 
you know, maybe somebody didn't have, you know, when, when they did something wrong, maybe it was more a lack in their life. It wasn't so much that they met were intended to harm us and think just different things like that. And so I found in my own life, I love the verse that says, you know, when I became a man, I put away childish things Mm -hmm. and just asking God, you know, to bring me to that place of, you know, maturity that Mm -hmm. he intends for us. And it's a beautiful thing that when you do work through some of the things that are hard to forgive, people that are still struggling with that must be able to sense that you worked through it because they come and talk to you. Did you find that too in your lives? That's been very interesting to me. It's almost like our spirits can sense that this person is a safe person to talk to. One thing I think that can be a hindrance is Um, constantly looking back. And I know that you talked about how you need to not have an infection that you're not dealing with and just band-aiding over. But there is also a a point at which you need to look forward and look into the beauty of what could be. And you need to hang on to that whenever forgiveness is hard, pressing into forgiveness is beautiful. Like it creates a beautiful person. And that's where I want to live out of is out of the beauty that Christ exemplified in his forgiveness. And so, yeah, I think that that's one thing that that when forgiveness is just extremely hard, that we can have hope in in looking forward to the beauty that's there. That reminded me of of what Paul says, you know, looking forward and for the prize that's set before us, enduring the, the shame and the hard things. This is one question I did have here quickly, Edith. I didn't know if you have any thoughts, um, which I know you mentioned how forgiveness is not restoration because that's not, you know, forgiveness is something that we can give. We can't control that. But I didn't know if you have any just um, things that come to your mind um, when someone is seeking restoration, you know, as that, as in the process of restoring a relationship where forgiveness has been needed. Of course, that depends on the situation, but I think if there's something like um, infidelity in a relationship, in, in a marriage relationship, that the offender really needs to have an accountability group um, Trust has to be rebuilt. Trust has to, yeah, you can't just give trust. It has to be earned. And so it depends some on the offender's willingness to accept accountability to others. That's one thing that comes to mind. For me, when, when it was that lesser offense with my friend, just the fact that she wanted to know, like, let me know when, I say something that feels offensive to you. That just that just covered over a multitude of sins. <laughs> Do any of the rest of you have thoughts on what Jamila asked? How can we restore relationships where there is the willingness for it to be restored? I think of how Jesus went to Peter after Peter had betrayed him. You know, he didn't just brush it over. He just made a time and place for there to be um, another chance. And he gave him another challenge. And like Linnell said, he made him think of the future, like feed my lambs. You, you, you still have work to do. So maybe we can do that in relationships too, where we would rather not enter in too deeply with the person, but give them a chance and, and think of what our relationship with, it, with them can be like in the future and build on that. So you're saying- I had a comment here. Into- oh. Sorry. I have a no, comment here that came in on the chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from Bethany. She says, thanks for your insights, Edith. Um, I think someone that 
is hurt tries to hang on to the bitterness and unforgiveness intending to punish the other person with their bitterness but when really the only person they're hurting is themselves it's so important to be able to let the hurt go that is the only way to restore true peace again yes yeah there's this other saying that nelson mandela said Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. So true. I was just thinking of that quote too. And another thing I thought about um, the thought that one way we can know that we have forgiven is when the hard thing can become a part of our testimony. Yeah. And I have just found so much beauty in that to just come to that place where, you know, this is my testimony that this was something hard, but mm -hmm. God has used it and we can become better people. We can become more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that mo all of us could have the testimony that when we allow God to work forgiveness in our life in that way, and we can be used of him, um, just to flow out healing and to be a blessing to others. It really, forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It really mm -hmm. is a beautiful thing. Well, I don't wanna cut anyone off, but it looks like the time for a call to end is here. And I know I'm sure that our hearts are all full and there's so many things that we are all thinking about and maybe relationships or places in our own hearts that we have to look at. So Edith, I thank you so much for taking the time to allow God to use you to speak to us today. Because forgiveness, I mean, relationships, life is made of relationships. And the Bible says offenses will come. And so I think forgiveness is something that is close to all of our hearts. So God bless you, Edith. You. Um, we're looking forward to Joy Weiler joining us next month to speak on intentional formation, living young adult years with purpose. Joy is planning to explore some ways to intentionally use the young adult years to serve and grow and build Christ's kingdom. I'm excited to look forward to that. And also we wanted to share with you that on the weekend of April 15th, we're looking forward to a bonus talk. And that bonus talk is going to be a panel discussion navigating the seasons. So that's an extra talk. It's so we, we plan to have our talk April 1st. That will be Joy Waller on living our young adult years with purpose. And then April 15th, we're going to have a panel discussion with four mothers in four different seasons of life. And we were um, blessed today to hear a little bit from Janie Wagner when she gave her comment. She's one of the mothers who plans to share and it also will be Christina Bear, Lindsay Kirkland, Valerie Hurst, and then Janie and their mothers who are all in different stages and seasons of life. So we're very excited and looking forward to that. So we ask that you could be in prayer for these upcoming talks and also be in prayer for this platform. It's exciting to see how God has used and blessed it. And we just want it to be all for the kingdom and all for the glory of God. And so I think the time has come for us to end our call. Edith, do you mind praying for us? Sure, I'll do that. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for each of these dear sisters, your daughters. I know that you are creating beauty in their lives as they open up to you. And I pray that your, your Holy Spirit will continue to lead them, help them to trust you, help them to hang on to belief in your goodness when life around them seems like it's out of control and it's harmful. Help them to stay soft in their spirits and to know that you are a good God. You can bring beauty out of ashes. You can bring beauty out of things that seem destructive. You have the power over all of life and over anything that happens on the earth. And only what is allowed in our lives, all that's allowed in our lives can be used by you to bring good. We believe that, and yet we struggle sometimes, so increase our faith. And I pray that you'll give wisdom to each lady and in her individual situation and the individual things she's struggling with. 
guide her by your spirit into life and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next time. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, 